you know, when I think of spread, less of, I don't think really necessarily think of the meal, more so I think about, you know, what it did, like the people that it brought together. I feel like in prison, um, I met some of the, the best individuals that I've ever come across in my life. Hi, I'm Hannah. And I'm Monica. And you're listening to Cage Nation. Welcome back, listeners. Welcome back. And happy holidays. Yeah, I hope everyone's having a good holiday yeah. season. So today we have a very special guest, um, someone I've known for oh, how many years now, you think? Four or five? Four or five years, yeah. yeah. So we have DeAndre. DeAndre um, and I met probably about five years ago when I was brand new in the field. You were a new mentor at the time. So I'm really excited you're here. I think you're a great um, person to talk to about reentry, and you've dedicated your career to supporting people through their transition. So I'm really glad you're here. Thank you. It's an honor and privilege to be on the show. So DeAndre, we ask a question at the beginning of every show for our guests, which is when does a person's sentence end? Um, physically, um, definitely it ends on, you know, that, that release date. But I think, uh, it's something that you keep with you for the rest of your life. So it has an ending, but it also doesn't have an ending. So it's, it's, it ends physically, you know, you get released from prison, but, you know, mentally and emotionally, you kind of still carry those things with you beyond the gates. When was your release date? May 29th, 2000 and 2009. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 10 years ago, over 10 years oh, ago. Yeah. Over 10 years ago, yeah. Wow. I made it. You they made usually it. say, like, what, five years? Within that five if years? If you can stay out five yeah, years. Yeah, if you can stay out. It's, there you go. If you can stay out five years. Mm. I mean, it's something that we've talked about as far as recidivism rates, how um, different states and the nation calculate recidivism, which is within five years. Mm-hmm. Is it five years? Yeah. yeah. So within five years, if you're rearrested, then that counts towards, you know, recidivating or, you know going back in so you were a really young person when you were incarcerated I mean you're still a young person but like thinking about 10 years yeah, ago yeah. we're not saying you're old I am I'm on the uh, what did I say the older side of young <laughs> yeah okay I like that so how old were you when you were um, first arrested and then how old were you when you were sentenced um, when I was first arrested I was 17 I believe and then when I was finally sentenced I was 18. Yep, I was 18. And were you incarcerated that whole time between that uh, yep. first arrest and the sentencing? Yeah. Yeah. I had I actually had a chance, uh, um, opportunity to get released on something called Close Street, but um, at the last, the last, at the last day, my my grandmother pulled the bell because she thought I would run. Mm. She so, didn't trust that you'd show up for court? She didn't trust that I'd show up for court. Was that a, was she like on point with that? Or do you think that she? She was definitely on point. You would have. Yeah. Would've, I mean, me and Pops already had the, you know, we talked about it. <laughs> Arizona Grand doesn't have extradition. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 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 So, yeah, she was on point. She mm. did the right thing. Mm-hmm. But at the time, it definitely hurt. Yeah. But, yeah. So you were 17, you were in jail for a year, it sounds like, before you were sentenced? Yep. Well, so I was in county for 
for a little over nine months and then um you know after you get sentenced like literally that that same i want to say either that same night or the morning i was uh transferred to uh coffee creek where they do like a um they hold the individuals that are getting transferred to prison there for a certain amount of time. So I was there and then I finally went to prison. Yeah. So for people that don't know, Coffee Creek is the intake center for the whole intake, state. There you go. Yeah. And it's also the only women's prison in the state. But for men, they go there for a few weeks. They do some assessments, evaluations, and then they transport you to whatever facility you're going to go to from there. Yep. Well, what was it like? Um, I mean, you spent nine months in county jail, which is brutal and not fun, and you were young, and then you, like, what do you remember going, you know, being sentenced and then being at Coffee Creek? What do you, what do you remember, or do you remember it? I actually, I remember, well, I took a deal, so I, I took my deal, and um, they gave me the gun law minimum, so I had a mandatory minimum of five years, 60 months. Um, with credit for time served, and uh, I just remember, like, all right, well, this is this is my life until I get released. You know, I gotta uh, accept it for what it is now, and then just kind of deal with things as they come, deal with issues as they come. You know, so I didn't, I couldn't foresee what prison was gonna be like. You know, other than watching those lock <laughs> lockdown shows, I was like, oh my god, <laughs> what if I'm as soon as I get there, somebody's getting stabbed. But yeah, so I just had to kind of, kind of just take a take a deep breath and and uh, say a prayer and, and kind of accept what my situation was. Did you was going to prison a surprise for you, or did you, as a young person, think at some point that was going to be part of your path? You want to hear a crazy story? Sure. This this is, this, this, like is, this is so wild. So, um. At Boise Elliott, there was uh, a friend, Tiandra, and she thought she was Miss Cleo, and she looked at my hand and said, "Uh, you're going to go to jail. And I was probably in fourth or fifth grade, Mm. and she said this. And for whatever reason, I I still recall that just because it actually happened. But, um, yeah, I mean, I kind of... At some point in time, when you're living that type of lifestyle, you kind of accept that this is a natural part of, you know, this process. Eventually, you're either going to potentially die or go to prison, and you kind of just hope for the latter. So, yeah. And when you say the lifestyle, what does that mean? I mean, just, you know, being in the streets, um, being associated, being involved in gang activity is just, it kind of... It comes with it. So, yeah, I, I accept it at some point that this, this is what's going to happen. It doesn't sound like it was a fight for you to be in there, that you had accepted it. Um, it sounds like long before you got to prison, yeah. you had accepted that this may be a part of your reality. Definitely. I mean, I didn't, I accepted it, but I didn't want to go to prison, you know, of course. And, and even when, um, I was, you know, in jail. I, I was definitely fighting to get out. I wanted to get out. I, I just didn't lay down. But, you know, I understood that, you know, this is this is what, is what uh, comes with the territory. So, yeah. For you, it's so interesting knowing you mm-hmm. 
now and thinking about um, how committed to so many things that you are. Had you committed to changing before you got to prison, while you were in prison, after you got out? Like, where where was that change for you? That's a good question. Um, I knew, I, I definitely knew I, I had to make a change, right? So I knew, like, at this point, I was, I had been involved um, in gangs for a while. I had just recently got off of juvenile probation. Um, I was on juvenile probation for, like, I literally got off maybe a month or two before I, I eventually caught my adult case. So I had been involved with the system essentially my, um, my whole juvenile life. So I knew that I had to change. Um, I wanted to change, and prison gave me the opportunity to to make that change, I guess you, you would say. But it wasn't the best environment for change, for individuals to kind of be like, I don't want to do this anymore. So... So prison gave you the space to change? Yeah, I mean, it, it removed me from from the environment that I was comfortable with. Mm. Um, it removed me from my, my family um, and a lot of individuals that um, supported, in a sense, what I was doing. And it wasn't like support because they were like, yeah, go ahead, do this, do that. It was more or less they were doing the same thing. So... You know, the blind will lead the blind. <clears throat> but, um, you know, prison, being secluded, being by myself, um, that's the only person I could depend on. And I had a lot of time to think, like, is this what I want for myself for the rest of my life? You know, my father spent um, most of my life in prison. Uncles spent time, you know, in prison. Aunts spent time in um like inpatient facilities so it was heavily uh in my family you know either being incarcerated or being in some inpatient facility and I just knew I didn't want that for the rest of my life so yeah I decided to make a change early on and so initially um you decided to make a change and what did that mean for how you spent your time it meant that I knew I wanted to change, um, but I knew that there were going to be challenges that I faced. You know, I fought when I was in prison, and you would think, like, well, if you if you were changing, why would you fight? But, you know, it's, it's just something that comes with the territory. Like, I knew in my heart and my mind, like, I'm not going to be the same person when I get released, but right now I have to be somebody that I may not want to be. Mm-hmm. And I just accepted it, and if I had to fight, I had to fight. So that's just... That's just what it was. Mm-hmm. So adjusting and um, being accustomed to the environment that you're in, like the part of the reality is, you know, prison culture. And so fighting exactly. is a part of it. Exactly. Were there people that you knew that were supporting you in prison while you were like people in prison? Other like other inmates? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was there was somebody that I actually just recently ran into him, um, um, Antonio. Um, like he had been sentenced to like fourteen years, fifteen years, or something like that. Um, similar crimes. Um, grew up in similar neighborhoods, and he was a well-respected individual. And he 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 changed his life, and he 
he ended up giving some of the time that he was originally sentenced to back. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was the same situation like this. You have to make your mind up that you want to change. You just may not be able to, like, enact that change at that moment. But just know that this is something that you want to do. So do everything that you can when you have the space to do it to support that change. But just understand that, you know, this is prison. And there's a certain culture, like you said, that you have to kind of adopt, you know, and kind of, you know, um, to be, to survive, you have to adopt to this culture that's in prison that you may not want to. So that's exactly what I had to do. So even though on the inside you may not be thinking and feeling like this is who I really want to be, this is just kind of the reality of the situation so I can get by, so I can survive, so I can not not be hurt, so whatever else has to happen for you. Um, also, you were looking at a good chunk of time. It's not like you were going in for 12 months or 18 months. Not that I'm minimizing that that's not a long sentence for people, yeah. but you're thinking about years of your yeah. life. Like I'm going to have, this is going to be my home for the next five or so years. So I got to figure out how I'm going to do that. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. And not only that, but it's a mandatory minimum. So there's no like shaving any time off mm-hmm. of those. And I think you're 18 in an adult prison. Yeah. My attorney was like, is there any way he can go to McLaren? He was like, nah, mm-hmm. you know, he's got a violent history as a juvenile. Um, and the DA, um, I remember her like saying, uh, I'm going to make an example out of this guy. Because there were a they lot said of. That. She said that. She said that. You know, she was. And the crazy thing about it was like she was an African American lady. And you would think, like, okay, I got an African American DA. She's going to, you know. And she did the exact opposite for those reasons. Because you think I'm going to, mm. you know be easy on you. Like she's going to prove a point? I have to prove a point. You're going to be the example. Um, Because a lot of individuals, there were a lot of individuals in county at the same time that I was facing similar charges and they didn't get the mandatory minimum sentence that I did. You know, if you dig deep into my situation, it was, I got charged for a gun that wasn't in my possession and it didn't have my DNA on it. So it's crazy. As you sit here now and you think about that or you tell us, you know, about the DA or being in the courtroom, what is that like? How do I feel? Um, I don't, like, I I have feelings, but it's, it's like mixed emotions. It's like, you know, man, I could have got a lighter sentence. But if I would have gotten a lighter sentence or received a lighter sentence, would I have been the individual that I am today? And so I have to really consider that. Um, and even with, you know, like potentially being able to get, get out on bail at one point in time, you know, was that the best thing for me? You know, I feel like God did what was necessary to, for me to be the person that I am today. So, yeah. I mean, that's a lot, a lot more humble than I would be, I think, about the situation. I know that it's been, you know, 10 years since you released, but... I think that's a really humble and um, accepting way to think about something that you could have a lot of anger about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think acceptance is key. There's no, there's no sense in in fighting what was. So it's like, hey, this is what it is, or this is what it was. You gotta accept it and move forward. Sure. I remember this thing that you said to me once when we were talking about 
your experience and you said the moment that I changed was when I stopped thinking about how a person could either turn me in or or you know tell on me mm-hmm. and started to think about how I put them in a position where they might have to do that yeah um and Definitely. and I think it's such a great example of kind of where you're at today and and who you are and how you help the community it's really to think about there are so many power structures and systems at play for people particularly people of color and people who are gang impacted yeah and then also within that there's still responsibility and there's still ways that people have to navigate what they're responsible for definitely and i think that you do a really good job at at doing that thank you i appreciate it but yeah i feel like um you know a lot of times individuals misplace blame and i did that for a long time um I, i i blamed anything that I could outside of myself for what was going on, rather it be my environment, my father, my mother. And when those are all like legitimate reasons, but you know, I had to, to, to think like, you know, when you were doing wrong or when I was doing wrong, did I actually know what I was doing? Did I know that that was wrong? And the, the truth is I did. And yes, yeah, some of it was out of survival, but at some point in time you have to, um, kind of think to yourself, okay, when am I going to stop, you know, living within survival? When I'm going to, when am I going to start actually living? And I just absorbed the blame. Like, hey, I'm, I'm to blame for, for a lot of these things that, that have happened in my life and a lot of these things that I've done. And I've put people in situations, like you said, to become witnesses or, or victims to things that I've done. So, I have to accept um, some responsibility or all responsibility in, in, in a lot of cases. Do you think that's an empowering place to be if people can get there? Yeah, I think it can It can be life-changing. You know, it's almost like, you know, the victim role, the victim stance. When am I going to stop being a victim of my own circumstance, regardless of how tough things are? You know, you still have the opportunity to come out of it as long as you want to. So there's some choice, even in a place where you you might have two really bad choices. There's still some choice. There's yeah, there there is some choice. There is some choice. Definitely, I do agree. There is some choice, but it's 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 hard for for individuals that are in situations like I was coming up in in households like I did, absent father, um, mother, struggling with addiction. You know you. It's hard to see that light at the end of the tunnel or to say, like, I can do right, you know. So you, uh, somebody that makes it out with without going to prison or without uh, being involved in gangs, I, I you know, I, I definitely pay homage to. I wasn't one of those individuals. You know, I took my route in order for me to change. I feel like prison and jail was necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not the only it's not the only path, but it was yours. But you also recognize that you don't have to go through that path. Yeah, you definitely don't have to go through it. Yeah, that there's options. Yeah, which I'm sure is what you talk to clients and people that you're working with all the time around the idea of options and choice. Yep, yeah. I mean, it's a daily conversation mm-hmm. with with um, the population, the individuals that I work with. It's like, man, please exercise the choice that you have. You know. You're on parole and probation, so you know what you can do may be limited. Just control what you can. 
what has it been like for you getting out of prison? Um, and how did you get into the helping field? Like, when did you know, like, I got to, now I'm going to start helping other people? Um, 2013, late 2012, early 2013, second chance at Grant. Is that it? <laughs> it sounds sounds right. It sounds right. So it sounds good if it's not right. Yeah. yeah, so we'll go with that. <laughs> so essentially what it is, it was a grant that would um, enable programs to put mentors in place. So they kind of had, you know, traditionally the structure was when I got out and got into the program, it was just a counselor and a participant or the client. Um, but then that grant allowed there to be mentors in place to kind of be the conduit between um the participant and the counselor just as well as the participant and uh the PO or or whomever else so yeah so I went and um I spoke and and the CPR program uh got funded and I thought I was going to have a job and I was like yeah you're at the top of the list and it was cr- like crickets I didn't hear, <laughs> I didn't hear anything here gotcha <laughs> but uh you know, every, I believe um, everything in God's timing. So a, l- a little later, I got the job as a mentor, and I was making half of what I was making um, doing construction. So I think my initial salary was like 13 and 13.29, and I was making 27 dollars doing construction, and I, and I just I stopped doing it because you were that passionate about helping. Was people. yeah, I felt like. The money was good, but I wasn't happy. I was miserable. Probably not very fulfilling work. It, it wasn't. Like, it, it's cool to, to drive past a building and be like, yeah, I helped build that building. Yeah, for sure. But it's even better to be able to, yeah. It's better to be able to see somebody and be like, I saved that person's yeah, life. For I sure. feel like, I feel like, you know, that for me was more gratifying than just being able to drive past a building. Because, you know, so many times you, for me at least, you know, I, I, I remember vividly taking a trip to Rose City Funeral or Rose City Cemetery and just looking at all of the individuals, just kind of walking mm-hmm. through and pointing at, at um, headstones and, and talking and sharing stories about these people. And it's just like, man, I have an opportunity to potentially save somebody from being there. And, you know, I definitely took full advantage of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a different weight and responsibility and motivation to help someone save their life and live a better life mm-hmm. um, versus helping build the building. I mean, exactly. Two of those things have value, but um, but it sounds like one motivated you a lot more. Absolutely. I mean, they're both hands-on work, but sure. the other is just, it's just more, more gratifying for me, at least. What was it like for you to work without saying the person's name, but your first client? What was that kind of experience like where it was like, DeAndre, you, you're you're on. This is it. This is your person. Like, go be a mentor person. now. Uh, I remember my first client perfectly. I remember exactly mm-hmm. ex- everything. So I, I do. I do. I remember my first client, or I don't like the kind of. I, I remember the first individual that I worked with, and it. I don't want to say it came natural, but I think that you know, definitely me being a part of the program or being in the same program that they were currently in, me coming back and working for for uh, that same program and knowing the ins and outs of that program, um, and being able to relate to that individual on a level that a lot of people traditionally wouldn't be able to relate to 
a participant, a client on, um, gave me the advantage. So it was, it wasn't easy, but the conversation came natural. Um, me being able to give them guidance, almost, you know, it came natural. So it wasn't like something, a skill that I necessarily had to learn. I've had to learn to, you know, fine tune my approach and my skill over the years. But in that moment, it it was easy, but it wasn't easy at the same time, so to speak. But it was about, I think the fir- our first interaction was about um, getting them assistance for a bus pass. So me being able to kind of understand the struggle and know what it's like to have to catch the bus to these groups to kind of fulfill programmatic obligations, you know, it, it definitely it definitely helped. So, yeah. The story that you told about working with your first client or individual that you were helping, the idea of um, him being frustrated and saying, like, I'm going to blow up a building, um, it reminded me of being working inside corrections and um, those, not that exact thing, but big behaviors or big threats um, are a way to get needs met. And so when people say, I'm suicidal. Um, sometimes that's actually how they're experiencing the world, and sometimes not. Sometimes yeah. I'm suicidal means that I have some control around where I'm going to be moved, or I'm going to be taken out of this, you know, unit that I'm on, or whatever, um, or you know, threatening something or fighting is a way to sort of control my environment or decisions I'm going to make. Definitely. How did you experience those things in prison or jail? Well, me personally, I don't think there was ever a situation to where I, I had to to um to say like I'm 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 not selling in because I'm not selling up with this guy. Um you know, while I was at Coffee Creek, they my my and the, so initially my crime was it was um it was tagged as a, a gang related offense. So that followed me all the way through prison. So they knew who to put me in a cell with and who not to put me in the cell with, um, which at first I didn't want that tag. But then I, once I actually got to prison, I was kind of kind of thankful that I had that tag because if I hadn't, then it would be the reason for a lot of fights. Mm, I see. So, so it was a safety. Yeah, it was it was a, it was a safety thing. Um, at at the time, they had something called STG, so which was security threat group, and so individuals that that had that label, they kind of were selective about who they put um, in their cells or, you know, what side of the institution they put them on, so forth and so on. So I didn't really have to, you know, go suicidal or say I was going to blow up a building to to not have to get in a certain cell. It was like a, an unfortunate tag that, I, that followed me all the way through prison at every institution I went to. And it actually, it slowed down my process of, of getting minimum custody. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you're seeing that label and that identifier is seen as a safety risk? Yep. Yep. Did they move you a lot? Yeah, so through through my time, I, I think I went to six institutions. Wow. Yeah, um, I got my minimum, and then I went to a, a minimum institution in Lakeview, that they built, and then uh, I actually got moved because I got married when I was in prison, and they didn't facilitate marriages at the at the Lakeview, 
uh, I think it's called Deer Ridge Institution. So they moved me to Salem, and they did it there. Um, no, 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 no. They moved me to Salem to a minimum, and then they had there's this uh, institution called Mill Creek, and they don't have any fences. And you go and you work out in the community. Yeah, it's a work facility. Yeah, and I was like, what? Dude, I'm ready if to... you don't come back, it's a whole thing. Yeah, yeah I'm, you gotta come back. I'm literally ready to, to, to leave. And then they had me, like, working at a hospital where there were individuals that had, like, um, mental, mental, health, uh, mental health issues and uh, mental disabilities. So there were... I was seeing things that I wasn't used to seeing. Um, people with diapers, people smoking pencils, and are looking like they were smoking pencils, mm-hmm. and they wanted me to change bedding that had blood and mm-hmm. other stuff on it, and I just, I told them, like, I'm not doing it. Cuff me up now, and let's just go. So I guess that was one time where I was like, dude, I'm not doing it, I don't, I don't care. And, well, they sent me to the only prison that Oregon actually has, OSP, <laughs> for, for my behavior. Mm. So, yeah, I lost my minimum. I went to OSP. You mentioned something that I'm interested about. What's that? That you got married. I got married, yeah. What's the story behind that? Yeah. Yeah, I I got married in prison. How can that happen? How can people get married in prison? Prisoners have feelings and love. and. Yeah, we, we have feelings and we fall in love sometimes for the wrong reasons. But mine, my, um, <laughs> mine was actually for the right reasons. Um, I knew... Uh, the person that I was marrying beforehand. We had a long history. Um, we actually grew up together. Um, we, we dated before I was incarcerated. And she was my co-defendant. Really? Yeah. What so. does that mean for people? Co-defendant? Yeah, what does that mean? Um, she was a part of my crime. She she was indirectly involved. She was just there when it happened. So, yeah, she ended up, uh, like... Riding out the whole the whole five years with me, sticking by um. my side, holding it down, and yeah, she told me. Uh, I think I got to some point where I was like, you know, I think we should get married. You know, I want to be with you for the rest of my life. You're you're such an amazing amazing woman. I don't see myself wanting to be with anybody else. And yeah, she did it. So how did that happen? I proposed. Yes. And over the phone? Was it at, in person? No, it was in a visit. So it was in a visit at OSP. You know, I you know I made it as romantic as possible. I took a as knee. As you can. Yeah, I took Busted a knee in a visiting out. room. Yeah. <laughs> I wish, but yeah, I actually had to go ask the guard, like, "Yo, can I, you know, get out of my seat and take a You're knee like, and, this is gonna happen. and propose?" And and she was like, "Absolutely." And so it happened. And then um, April. 2007 I got married and they had like this little arc with flowers and yeah. so it was like the real deal I got a ring I had a ring I actually had a gold ring I felt like privileged wow who, who got the ring did she get that she ring? did she got her ring and she got my ring because she's that she was just that amazing and committed to uh to yeah to making it work so what's a prison wedding like horrible it's like um so there's there's a, a day that they do it, and multiple individuals are scheduled to get married. So all on the same day, right? All on the same day. You use the they clear out the visiting room. They have this little backdrop, and they have a, a awning. It was like a little mm-hmm. like awning type thing. Flowers on it. It's white. You take pictures. 
Um, you put on your best prison blues and they, you know, hopefully if you have somebody that's really committed to it and they're like, I'm going to make the best out of it, they're going to get dressed as well. So, yeah, she got dressed in, in a nice outfit and she came and she brought a, a family member and my mother came and, yeah, we made it happen. And how did that relationship go afterwards? It was good while we were incarcerated, but then, you know, the world happened. I feel like I got released and so many things um, took place. Um, when, I, um, when I got out, and this is kind of going into something else, when I got out, I was, I was ready and willing, but in, in a lot of ways, I was still, uh, still 17. Mm-hmm. So it's she, like time almost stops, yeah, right? Like I was you froze. missed yeah. things that you, you could have experienced, yeah. but you didn't get to. Yeah, so she was a lot more mature than me. And um, she's like, I have bills. We gotta. <laughs> yeah, I have a whole life. You gotta yeah. get. You gotta. You gotta get things going. And it took me like nine months to to get my first job. This is like the at the the oh, height yeah. of the recession. Oh, yeah, the economy was yeah, terrible. the economy yeah. was horrible. Um, but I eventually got a job, and then I was making all of this money, and I was like, you know what? I want to be a mentor. She was like, well, how much does that pay? Less than half of what I'm making. Uh-oh. Let's cut our bills in half. Yeah. like bad news. Yeah, not We're like so much. Thinking about buying a house and, mm-hmm. but um, yeah. So it eventually ended in in a divorce. But you know, we have uh, an amazing little daughter. So like, I have I have no regrets. You know, I still love her a lot. And yeah, she she is an amazing woman for being able to to stand by my side and support me throughout being incarcerated as well as you know when I got out. So yeah, big Sounds shout like out. You have a lot of respect for her. Yeah, a lot, a lot of love and a lot of respect, even when we don't see eye to eye. You know, still, I feel like, um, how could you not, you know, respect mm-hmm. somebody that that literally puts their life on hold, you know, so for you and waits for you. So, yeah. You just talked about uh, a wedding in prison. Mm-hmm. What are other holidays or celebrations like? Um, horrible. Um, <laughs> I That's mean, there's the nothing. There's, there's nothing like being being with your family. But I think you kind of get to a space, right? So you kind of accept. All right, I'm going to be here for a while. So you make the best of it. So you know, a lot of spreads happen. They try to Can make it. Can you say it. what a spread is if people don't really know what that means? Man, what is a spread? Is is noodles and meat sticks and packaged hot pickles and and, and chips and che- cheetos and fritos so it's like all and, the things that you and can sriracha buy. whatever you can buy yeah so whatever you can buy on canteen um it's kind of yeah. like if you were Barbecue shopping sauce, at like 7-eleven or cheese whiz yep it's like all the instant quick i don't know stuff. how people stay so fit with the stuff that comes out of the canteen i mean men so many people are jacked yeah men i think work out a lot yes i think women have a harder time Mm -hmm. i I mean there's really nothing to do so it's like you're gonna like read or you're going to exercise or you're just gonna war story and pass your time so yeah you know i definitely exercise and that's when i got into exercising was when i was incarcerated so during holiday time you had spreads so Kind of making uh, very interesting meals. I've tried several of them. Very spreads? Cr- yes. You've had spreads? Yes. Wow, that's... Okay. Yeah, okay. do you have like a new level of respect for me? 
I, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, anybody that's willing to be like, yeah, I'll, I'll just, you know, crack open it a pack been, of ramen noodles yeah. and let's, let's get so it popping. So when I was working um, in prisons, uh, I had clients say like, yeah, we're going to put all this together and, mm-hmm. and you know, do you want to try this? I'm like, yeah, I see what you put in it and I think I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> but then um, there was stuff that was so surprisingly good yeah like really definitely, good definitely um i mean of course there's like nothing like a homemade meal or whatever but given all of the ingredients that you don't have and people actually make like a dish and you're like how did that come out of like a ramen packet with like doritos and like your weird yeah. hot sauce and barbecue sauce and cheese whiz and yeah but yeah i mean i think you know when i think of spread less of i don't think really necessarily think of the meal more 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 so i think about you know what it did like the people that it brought together i feel like in prison um i met some of the the best individuals that i've ever come across in my life so yeah i think that's what the the, for me that's what it was it was more about coming together with um the individuals that i was in there with and, and making the best out of bad times so yeah what should people know about what holidays are like for people in prison or what should they consider um, definitely we wish we can do more. Um, you know, there are some things that you can do, um, like message in a bottle and you can send people, um, your loved ones, certain gifts or your, your girlfriend, fiance or wife, certain gifts. But, um, just know that we're, we're thinking about them as much as they're thinking about us, or we hope that they're thinking about us as much as we're thinking about them. Um, and there's, there's definitely no place like home and it, it definitely, um, it, it makes you appreciate um, being able to, to spend time with your family. I think sometimes you, when you're around your family, you kind of neglect to appreciate um, exactly what it means and how important it is um, to be able to spend time with your family. So, yeah, man, for me it was like I, I'm, I started to appreciate the time that I had. Um, and then... I didn't realize how much things were going to change. So, yeah, it's just times times that you can't get back. So definitely appreciate appreciate um the times that you have to spend with the individuals that you that are around you that are there because they might not be next year. So, yeah. yeah. We've talked to several people on the show who have been on the other side of things where they've been the family member on the outside. Yeah. What was it like for your family while you were incarcerated? That's a good question. Um, I've, I, so I've had family members come visit me, and I've had family members say they couldn't come visit me because it was too hard for them. Um, I think my wife at the time definitely came to see me the most. My mother, not so much. Um, and yeah, so I've had like my cousins came, um, my mother came a little bit, and then I had like you know friends, friends come, female friends that I knew that would come visit me. But beyond that, yeah, it's it's tough, man, because it's almost like um, out of sight, out of mind. <clears throat> and some people. Some people like to say, well, you know, I know where you're at. I know you're, you're alive. 
and I'll see you when you get out. Yeah, like that's kind of good enough for me. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's good enough. And other individuals, it's like you know, I I know where you're at, but you know, almost I, you know, I forgot about you in a sense because you're not here, or I'm, you know, I'm so caught up in living that I don't, I don't, I don't have the time to take to to come visit you. And you know, it's like I don't, I don't fault them in any way. You're not mad about that. No, I think there was a point in time where I was mad, where I felt like there were people that should have came mm-hmm. that didn't, but I'm thankful that they didn't because then I felt like I, I kind of feel like I would have an obligation to be a friend to them that I really didn't have time to be or wasn't necessary for me to, to be that individual or friend to that individual um, for the wrong reasons. Or I feel like I had an obligation to to do something for them because they did something for me. So I definitely feel like God put the people in my life that were necessary, and He kind of removed the individuals that weren't. So taking away that that kind of idea of loyalty, and, and maybe in a dysfunctional loyalty way. Yeah. You know. To a fault, being loyal to a fault. Yeah, yeah it's definitely one of my my issues. Also, within the time that you were incarcerated, you mentioned being transferred six times. And so that's also hard for people to drive or adjust or go to a new place, you know, as far as visiting. Um, It's stressful. It's stressful for people to walk into a prison, even if they're used to it. It's a stressful experience. Um, So you... Um, top that with travel or time or whatever else expenses yeah because you know you have to pay for hotels and things like that and I think um, Lakeview is on the Lakeview is on the Oregon California border yeah it's way southern Oregon so it's like Mm -hmm. what 10 hours or something like that so even you know at least six or seven from Portland and yeah just crazy just asking people to travel that far and I and um, I remember Somebody came to visit me, and it was like a snowstorm, mm. <laughs> and and they they actually drove down with um, a friend's mother, and so they transferred, so they switched drivers, and and my girlfriend actually turned around and drove the wrong way, so she she drove like four hours in the wrong direction. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> Horrible. And this 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 older lady was like, "What did, what did you just do? Like, you just, oh, yeah, all the progress <laughs> that we made." She's just, like, "I took a left, and I was supposed to be a right." Yeah, it's just just horrible. So definitely, I have a lot of respect for the ones that do come visit and take out that time to to um, you know go see their loved ones. Can we talk about gangs? Let's talk about gangs. Sure. Why not? Sure, yeah. Why not? So that's something we haven't really talked about on this podcast yet, um, but it's a huge part of what prison reentry and pre-entry looks like for a lot of people. And then not to mention when you get into prison, how gang dynamics impact people's behavior. Oftentimes when people think about gangs, people who are gang impacted, it's like major red flags. Yeah. I'm going to like, I got to go get somewhere safe. Um, so there's a, a huge misconception about gangs and <clears throat> individuals that are involved in gangs. They think that everybody's bad. Um, and that's absolutely not true. Like I said, I've met some of the best individuals um, that I've ever met in my life while I was incarcerated. And some of them happen to be involved in gangs. Some of them happen to be from the same gang that I'm from. 
And, uh, you know, uh, I think what they need to understand is that, you know, we're fathers, we're brothers, um, husbands, um, and for the women that are incarcerated, you know, their sisters, mothers, wives. So we're, you know, we're people too, you know, um, we just grew up in, in different situations and circumstances that, that led us down a different path, but we're by no means less than or less valuable than anybody else on this earth. Um, and I think that, you know, a lot of people um, look at things from from uh, a one-sided view. Um, they talk about things they haven't, they haven't experienced um, in their own lives. And so, and also, you know, you see things on TV, like, oh my God, this person's in a gang, so they're bad. And it's, it's not, it's, it's, it couldn't be more far from the truth. I just want to echo some of the um, people I've had the privilege and the honor of working with that I hold dearly and, and, and think about often are people who have been impacted by gangs and who are a part of gangs. And I think really we're talking about community members who have been systemically targeted yeah. and have been um, not given access to the resources everybody else has been given access to. And, and we're really talking about surviving pe- people who are surviving and trying to thrive. And it's not that easy for people to get out or say, we're going to, you know, now I'm going to be done. It's not that yeah. easy. It's, it's not. And it's, it's crazy that you say that you talk about um, systemic oppression or individuals that have different circumstances or grew up in, in uh, less fortunate situations than other. I was actually um, my colleague, man, who, you know, he's, as somebody that also changed his life um, that was impacted by gangs. Um, He shared this video and it kind of showed uh, like how individuals or like what white privilege is. It gave a visual to it, you know, and it kind of, you know, had individuals line up uh, to race and it said, hey, take two steps forward. If you're, you seen that video? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, Yeah. and it's, that right there shows you or should show individuals like just because somebody, um, maybe a gang member doesn't mean that, you know, it's something that they chose to do. Or, you know, it was their first decision. Like, if you would have asked them in fifth grade, you know, what do you want to grow up to be? And it's like, hey, I want to grow up to be this hardened criminal. I want to grow up to be a leader of a gang. No, like, we have hopes, dreams, and aspirations just like everybody else. Unfortunately, you know, things happen. And we get involved in gangs for various different reasons. A lot of people get involved in gangs because they don't have you know, that sense of family. Like I said, I grew up in uh, a broken household. Father was absent, mother was on drugs, and I found what I needed in the group of individuals that I was hanging with. They just got labeled as gang members, but that that's, that's not exactly, you know, who we are or who we were at that time. And oftentimes, um, young people who are involved with gangs uh, feel really safe and protected mm-hmm. and they're part of a community and they have role models and and we often think you know people are out doing these horrible things there are gang members who do amazing things for the community and and really try to protect their space and their community and the kids that live in their you know their neighborhood and i think we as a, a community need to think about what that means differently in order to be able to support people. And I think, 
you know, you, you talked about that DA really targeting you. I, I, I mean, mm-hmm. I think largely it's because you were gang af- impacted and affiliated yep. that it's like, and then we think about people of color being in the system who have these like major security stuff, major security clearances, can't get access to the resources that other people can get access to because they're gang affiliated when that, you know, that has a very different meaning. Yeah, man, I, I wish, you know, I, this, this, this is the work that I do to kind of to kind of change individuals outlook on, you know, uh, what individuals, who individuals are that are that are involved in gangs, you know, gang members, uh, so to speak, because a lot of individuals um, that are involved in gangs. I want I want to I don't want to say like didn't have a choice, but they're they're product products of their environment. You know, um, a lot of them grew up in, in houses and, and, you know, love was absent. And they kind of found that, you know, somewhere else. And who, who can you fault for that? You know, who can you fault? You know, how can you fault the 11-year-old kid, a 12, 13-year-old kid that says, you know, my, my father wasn't there. But then he, he goes outside and he sees um, a, 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 a gang member. I hate to use, I hate to label an individual like um, as a gang member, you know, and I, and I won't, let's just say he sees, you know, an, an African-American role model, somebody that he looks up to, and they give him that love that he never received from his father. You know, that person is more present in their life than their father was. And even that individual that he's being a role model by, he's, he's looking up to, um, they don't have, I don't think they necessarily have bad intentions. You can't tell somebody what they're doing is wrong if this is, if wrong is all they've known. To them, this is, this is their norm. You know, my colleague likes to say, you know, my norm may not be your norm. So you can't tell me what it's like if you're looking at me on the outside of the glass. So, yeah. It sounds like connection is a lot of what you talk about with uh, young people seeking out, maybe not even intentionally, but seeking out or ending up in um, a gang lifestyle. The idea of acceptance, belonging, love, connection, something to attach to, some, you know, a way to feel important. And all of those are just human things. That's not unique to a style of like growing up in poverty or trauma, that's just being alive. We all wanna feel connected and like we have a place in the world. Yeah, feeling like you, you belong, feeling like you, um, you're connected with somebody. Um, acceptance, I feel like is, it's big, man. It's mm-hmm. it's it's definitely can be um, a killer to to a lot of individuals. You know, me personally, I didn't I didn't choose choose the route that I chose for acceptance. Um, you know, it started out as something small that kind of transitioned into something bigger, um, and it was all just just it was individuals that I that I grew up with that I that I went to to elementary school with. Mm-hmm. You know, that I even went to preschool with, and it was. You know, it was family, you know, and it, and, and it will always be that for me. And, and, and I will always tell people that, you know, it's not this. You have somebody labeled as a gang member, you know, and somebody that's a gang member is going to say, no, this is my family member. Mm-hmm. And it, it bothers me a lot of times um, because individuals get out and they have these stipulations on parole or probation that they can't be around fellow gang members. And it's like, you know, I feel like you're telling me that I can't be around my, my family members. And oftentimes it actually is a It actually member. is, yeah. So maybe they don't have anybody else to go home to, and that was their one person that they could, whose house they could release to or, you know, be actually safe at. 
Exactly. Exactly. You're saying you can't be around this person. Yeah. It sucks. It's horrible, man. This the system is definitely flawed and broken and I think it's geared to to continue to oppress individuals that are um minorities that are um black, brown, um uh involved in gangs, gang impacted. So, yeah. What's it like for you to see someone that you grew up with or someone that you were involved with in gang activity now? Still, like, didn't... didn't if they're still connected to that lifestyle? Didn't, uh, you know, I like to tell my tell my bro, I tell, we just had a conversation about this, too. Um, we said, uh, you know, we beat the Matrix. Mm. And, you know, we look at individuals that are still kind of, you know, what you would say, still stuck in the Matrix. Um, we want to help, you know, we want to be that, that, that beacon of hope, um, of light to kind of guide individuals out. Um, but like I said a while ago, you know, individuals that are misled are only going to, you know, mislead other individuals that they believe that they're trying to lead. So, you know, I just, we just try to, try to guide them in a direction of, um, prosperity that's gonna kind of pull them away from what they feel may be their norm and kind of show them something different but it's, it's hard it's definitely hard to to push people outside of their comfort zone even just thinking about you when you were talking about being in prison and, and wanting to change but the environment was restricting what you could really do I mean our, our communities really do that to people particularly people who are gang impacted and communities of color where the environment can only do so much and it really takes all people working together to make a big difference. Definitely. I mean, I've I always say I've never heard of something for nothing. You cannot take something from individual from an individual without replacing it um, with something of equal or more value. And you have individuals that have grown up in these neighborhoods, grown up a part of these you know, these families, these gangs, and you want to take that away from them and not, not replace it with nothing. Or you want to take, um, tell somebody, hey, not, don't sell drugs, but you don't want to replace it with a good-paying job. Um, you know, and, I, and I, like, I get it. You know, for some people, it seems like a no-brainer. It's like, why would you want to do that? Why would you want to risk your life? And it's like, this is, this is all i know. This is all I've seen. You know, this is what my father did. This is what my mother did, my aunt, my uncle. So this is what I know. This is and my I'm comfort here, zone. I'm still alive. Yeah, and I'm still here, and I'm still alive, and it's paying the bills. And um, you know, they have these programs. I feel like that are put in place that don't really effectively address the whole individual. It's like, hey, yeah, we have resources for you to to, to build a resume, but you know, there's really not um, resources to to to, to kind of show you how to interact and to successfully get the job that you're going for I feel like there's there's it's always just one part or one piece um that they have or there's always just one part of piece that's missing to kind of make the program full or whole so it takes a bigger effort it takes a a lot bigger effort it takes a um um, an investment from like you said a community you know it's a community effort and and sometimes I feel like things are just uh, put in place to kind of pacify people. You really don't want um, to help, but you say you do, 
and you do things to kind of pacify and to to show like the to 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 make the community believe that you're actually invested when you're really not and I feel like there's a lot of people that have a place at the table that have that attitude that are like yeah I'm just here because I have to be you know this person is just going to do this forever anyway regardless um why would I provide them with this opportunity um or you come to me when you're ready. It's like, well, I don't, I don't know what that looks like, right? I don't, exactly. I don't. Yeah. What does it look like? Yeah, I think that uh, the idea of reinvesting or investing sometimes for the first time in a community can also be another way to message, like, I don't want to deal with this problem, or I'd just like this problem to go away. And I think about I think about that with like the housing crisis. Um, issue with people being houseless in this community, uh, specifically in the Portland area. And you could equate that with maybe some other social issues like gang activity. But it's like, do you really want to know why people are in this situation? Or you're just kind of hoping that you don't have to look at it because it's hard and it's difficult and um, whatever the media portrays. Um, and I, I, I was thinking about that as you were describing um, people who are at the table and kind of what are their intentions. Yes, yes. And it's hard, you know, being in this position and working with this population of folks, it has its challenges. Um, but they're so used to, to, to people giving up. Yeah. I feel like they, they, they work you hard. They work you as, like, <laughs> when you go into it, they're like, they're overworking you. Like, yeah. oh, they'll give up on me eventually. Yeah. And um, and when they see, you know, individuals um, like you, Hannah, like you, Monica, that, they, that don't give up, that actually continue to stay invested, they're like, okay, well maybe change is actual and maybe it's something I can do as long as I have the right people supporting me. So it's just about having the right people in place to support the individuals that lack, you know, that um, the support, that have lacked the support in the past to actually make the change um, that they need to make. So we just got to get the right people in place and get the right programs in place to help those individuals. Yeah, for sure. Before we are done... Can we talk about the cool things that you've done since your release? Absolutely. So you just got your record expunged? Yep, I just got my wow. um, juvenile record expunged and, and my adult record expunged. And it's, it's surreal. That's it's surreal. What does that deal? People, what does that mean? Um, it, it means that I don't have to check that box <laughs> that asks me if I um, have a felony or if I've had a felony within the last five years because, you know, I... I don't have one. It's it's gone. Um, so. But it took you this long, right? Like you said, you just got it. Ten years. Yeah, so ten years after your release. And people aren't eligible until about seven years, right? For most. Five five to seven years, some somewhere somewhere around there. But yeah, it it feels like there's um, a burden that's lifted. I feel like um, um I was just talking to. Uh, Nate Roberts today, who who was actually my PO when I got out, and he was like, "Congratulations, you're you're actually a full citizen now." And he said it jokingly, but it hit something inside of me, and I was like, "Wow!" Because it's the truth, right? Yeah, it's it's, it's the truth, and yeah, it's just it, it feel it feels good to know that um, you know I don't have that record attached to me, but you know, it there's took a lot of work. Yeah, I mean, there's still people that know who I am, what I've done, so. You know, it'll, it'll never actually go away, but it feels good to not have to, you know, have that documentation following me. Yeah. And you had a son. 
I had a son. Yeah. Yes, I do have a son. Oh, man, he's he's amazing. Um, How old is he? He's, oh my god, he's so cute. Oh, I'm sure. He's ni- He's 19 months. Mm. He's 19 months. Yeah, my daughter is is nine. And yeah, man, uh, my children, they like, they keep me motivated. Um, they're definitely the reason I work two jobs. Um, because, <laughs> because in more way than one, I'm sure. Because yeah, because <laughs> I have to provide for them, and I want them to to not have to experience the um, the things that I experience. Um, and the, the reality of it is, is that I work so hard that they won't. They'll never know what it's like to struggle. They'll never know what it's like to to not to go without. And and I'm happy to to be able to say that. You know, they both. You know, both of my children. Um, have amazing mothers, and I actually have um, another child on the way. Oh my gosh! And yeah, and uh, Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! <laughs> It'll be a summer baby. Um, yeah, and, and they just they'll just never know my struggle. Yeah. They won't know my struggle, and I'm and I'm happy about that. And you know, they all have amazing mothers. So big shout out to their moms That's for great. doing the for doing the heavy lifting. Yeah. Is there anything that you would add um, to this podcast or what we've talked about? I mean, for anybody that listens to this, you know, that may just be getting out. It's just a marathon. It's not a sprint. You know, hard times don't last. Tough people do. You kind of have to um, just have that mindset that, you know, I'm going to do it regardless of anything because it hasn't been. An easy transition for me. It's definitely been a struggle. Like I've I've went through, you know, losing individuals I cared about, um, divorce. Um, you know, life life happens, and it's gonna continue to happen. You know, it's not what happens; it's just how you how you react to what happens. You know, what is your response? You know, are you gonna give up? Or are you gonna continue to push forward? And you know, you just have to continue to push forward and hope that it gets better and work actually put in the work for it to get better well thanks DeAndre I'm really proud of you thank you thank you you've done a a ton in the time that I've known you thank Um, you and I'm excited to see what you do next me too thank you so much more to come